The information contained in today's episode is for general purposes only. Some bases covered assumes no responsibility for errors or omissions in the content of this episode. In no event shall our podcast be liable for any special, direct, indirect, consequential, or incidental damages or any damages whatsoever, whether in action of contract, negligence, or of other tort, arising out of or in relation to the topics being addressed in today's episode. Given the changing nature of laws, rules, and regulations, there may be delays, omissions, or inaccuracies in the information provided in today's episode. We will not be liable to you or anyone else for any decision made or action taken in reliance on the information provided by today's guest speaker or any consequential, special, or similar damages, even if advised otherwise. Welcome back, boys. Before we get into today's episode, if you want to support South Africa and Cape Independence, then give this episode a special thumbs up. It will help us spread awareness. Yeah, it's a bit more... Yeah, yeah online stuff can take you quite far, surprisingly. Um, and now I'm actually um, one of the faces for RP. Since we're going to be having multi-face like portfolio, so different people speaking about different topics. Phil obviously being the main one because he's still the leader. Uh, we all voted for him to be the leader. But like, uh, yeah, occasionally I will do a video or Robert or Donald Brown or Jordan. So yeah, that's me. Um, do you have other questions? Um, yeah, I'm one of the newer. I'm one of the newer people helping Penny with this. So. <laughs> Excuse me if I'm a bit um, stuttery. Well, uh, so are you a bit of a policy wog then? Because I, I mean, so are you? Is that what you're more interested in policy? I'm interested in policy. So my point is, um, um, sorry. Yeah, um, I did want to actually comment on something a bit you said a bit earlier, but I didn't have a sure. chance to comment there. Uh, I just want to actually confirm that the thing you were saying about um, potential DA voters not going with you if you if you miss out something like a max vaccine mandate. Just looking at myself, that is actually a valid point because I would not vote to a party that would ban a vaccine mandate because I believe vaccines work. Yes, exactly. Uh, myself included. You know, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm myself an engineer by training. Right, and uh, I believe in the scientific method. And okay, not to alienate any, anybody, but like in in a situation where there's a pandemic, I believe that uh, yeah, it, it makes sense to have vaccines or passports for vaccines for certain high risk situations, you know. And the problem the problem with the Cape Independence Party's positioning was that by doing so, they alienated a huge chunk of. Western Cape DA's um, support base and thus also potential voters, right? I must say, yeah. when I ask you questions, I'm not going to represent parties out there which are part of the electorate, which I don't believe in their views or something like that. Because otherwise, I think we'll just get into a kind of devil's advocate, lowest common denominator. But I mean, I mean, I was alienated by the Independence Party just because they essentially wanted to scrap the Constitution and start again. 
that alienated me because I, I mean, I think we have a wonderful liberal constitution that's just been betrayed. And if we can just go back to that with our good, uh, with our tradition of good governance in the Cape, then I'd be very happy. And I must say, I like the constitution because it'll protect me from you fanatics that say <laughs> that you want a vaccine mandate. No, thank you. Uh, there's such a thing as informed consent. There's such a thing as the right to privacy. There's such a thing as all these other libertarian values. No, thank you. Yeah, um, weirdly enough, I think we finally found something that means I agree on. <laughs> the constitution is awesome. Yeah, look, I am and, and, on the constitution. Um, uh, if I may, if I may comment, like yeah, it's, it's a bit more, yeah. Yes, it holds some really great values, and it is pretty great in many sense. However, it has all these little clauses that um, have basically allowed the state to, yeah, basically become what it is at the moment, right? And I agree with, in the sense of um, you know preserving these these rights and things. And look, again, I must emphasize that something, for example, like federalism doesn't exist in the, the Constitution. And that is such a big own goal um, that the drafters of the Constitution made in, in 1990, in the 90s, right? No, that, the original Constitution yeah. allows for devolution of powers. In fact, it even insisted on it. That was altered. That was amended. Ah, I didn't know that. Interesting. Although South Africa still, even even devolution is like not full federalism, right? Because uh, federalism is, is a stronger variant of decentralization than what the DA is um, fighting for. You know, just control it, for policing. Um, yeah, I kind of have a basic idea what federalism is, but yeah, it's been a while since I researched that, that in depth. <laughs> um, Hopefully that's why I remember this. Oh, sorry. I mean, I don't know if federalism is, I mean, it's important to us in our current predicament, in our current historical context. I mean, I, I don't think federalism was, I mean, if, if we had a functioning constitution, I don't think it would be a problem. Because I mean, all the, all the really bad policy that affects us on a local level I kind of take issue with what you said earlier, Yusuf, that like, there are all these little clauses in the Constitution. I think that they, they have been deliberately misread. The Constitution has been deliberately betrayed because we do have constitutional supremacy. Therefore, everything that happens in the law supposedly has to be consistent with the Constitution. But that's obviously not true. I think it's been a tremendous own goal for the independence movement not to use the Constitution as a shield and say, no, no, we need independence to reaffirm the Constitution and to get back to it because it's been overtly betrayed. I think that would have been a tremendous banner uh, that, that could get people behind it. Uh, well, anyway, that's my imagination, at least. Well, one, one comment I can make is definitely the spirit behind the Constitution, though, is something that I would say the independence movement and especially the flavor of the independence movement, the referendum party and the CIAG have been uh, pushing for Parkins too. So this whole like 90s um, optimism of the Rainbow Nation is definitely something that I think drives the spirit and the vision of the referendum party. I absolutely accept your point, but I just, I do think Phil Craig would seem a lot strong. Sorry to interrupt and just to jump in as I did. No, it's fine. 
that Phil Craig, I think, would seem a lot stronger when he was when he when he's arguing against you know black fascists and black nationalists and all those sorts of people that attack him for and they call him a racist. If Phil Craig had an argument that the Constitution has been betrayed and we're just trying to, in the fastest way possible, because it's not going to happen while we're a part of this democracy, this dysfunctional, you know, then you can call the democracy a sham and you can call the constitutional order also a sham and that and why we have to break away in order to reaffirm you know, the true foundation of, of, of the Constitution. We, we need to reestablish a constitutional court that isn't stabbing the Constitution in the back. Obviously, you can tell my rhetoric is a bit rough on this, but it, I think it would flow a lot better. The logic would, because then it would seem as if Phil Craig was defending something original in the country, which has been betrayed by the rest of the country. And the real politic is, is that we're never going back to that as the ANC. You know, the ANC will have to be removed from power before we ever get back to the Constitution. And it's more likely that the whole country will devolve into anarchy, you know, before that happens as well. Yeah, I hear you. The Constitution espouses a certain uh, set of values, right? For example, non-racialism, property rights, etc. And it gives protection to that. Phil mainly argues, and I think RP argues along the lines of first principles, you know, like we want non-racialism, for example. That's the obvious one, or, or like a market-based economy that respects property rights. And uh, indirectly, yes, that is arguing for the core message of the constitution. I hear you with bringing the constitution into that, but I don't necessarily think it's strictly necessary to get the message across because then you have this bit of dilution when it comes to um yeah what principle are we fighting for which indeed is as uh, is given in the constitution i'm just very afraid to go back to nothing because i mm. i i really think that the context that we're going to have a new because legally i th i'm i'm very clear in my mind as what i think legally will happen because we do already have um, a provincial constitution and the provincial constitution swears absolute allegiance to the national constitution and so therefore i would say that in law even as a federated or a completely independent state we still have the national constitution in our law and there's no getting away from it except by 75% you know amendments you know like trying to get it out wholesale in in the western cape parliament which i hope people can't find the numbers for but anyway excuse me i'm just going to put my cat um, i'm just going to chill get my cat to calm down Sorry, I'm I'm a bit of a uh, one-trick pony on 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 this kind of stuff because I, I I do think it's central to everything because it would clarify the message in my view it would clarify the lines of ideological bat you know the, it, who's fighting who and what we're going back to because I mean I understand that you maybe don't want to alienate the libertarian people who believe that you know we're going to have cantons like the Swiss or something like that and each canton will be able to have its own tax rate or some something like that that sounds a bit insane <laughs> yeah um, um okay besides that um do you have any information to add to that well i think i think in general it could be a good strategy i'll bring it up with phil i'll raise it with phil um we'll probably have a meeting next week since everyone's on vacation but when yeah. it comes to so, sorry do you want to say something henry 
um, I don't know. I just want to clarify when I said that it's insane. I just meant that the old tax rate for individual things sounds like a lot of paperwork. I think, like, basically, that's a special economic zone, right? And South Africa mm. already has implemented special economic zones, and many countries do, like um, the Shanghai economics, special economic zone, or effectively Hong Kong was a huge economic special economic zone. So. It's not uh, infeasible to to do something like that. Um, uh, okay, fair. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> when it comes to the, the 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 issue of the the constitution reigning supreme, I think by advocating for the principles behind the constitution, one doesn't alienate people who, you know, like believe that the constitution isn't perfect, which I think there is a, a, a sizable chunk. Uh, because, um, yes, for example, like um, it's at giving provisions for fair discrimination, etc., and uh, not strictly defining a federal South Africa as a federal state. Instead, it's saying it's a unitary state, to name a few things. But definitely, I, I do hear the point of like the allegiance to the principles behind the constitution as being paramount. And definitely, I think that however, whatever the outcome, it, it say we do get independence, that um, the Western Cape governmental system will be some form, some morphed form of what is the status quo, which is actually what was from the past already. So, um, I mean, what we have now is like a very grotesque modified version of the well, depending on your view on on the Westminster system right so we might see a more traditional Westminster system arise in uh, independent Cape for example while still obviously keeping the vast majority of um, constitutional principles so they probably would be a a new constitution because I mean the South African national constitution defines South Africa as a unitary state and doesn't make provisions, you know, and it's catered towards South Africa versus the Western Cape. No, no, I, 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 sorry, I hear you on that, that the territory is defined in the constitution and that is a, a bit of a, a stumbling block. But I, I don't think it's such a great insurmountable stumbling block because mm. if you get a, a kind of quorum of judges to agree with you, that the constitution has been betrayed and the only way to revive it is to establish a new constitutional court in the Western Cape. And that therefore out of necessity, we're going to re redefine our boundaries. And this can be a parallel system. Obviously there has to be a political process with the national government, but there can still be a separate, you know, we can be quite creative in terms of how we internally define the independence. And I would argue that also by, by the way, I, I must push back a little bit when you say that there's such a thing as fair discrimination. The constitutional court judge judges really made an embarrassing judgment when, when they got into this BEE stuff. How they justified it was not through the limitations clause. They didn't even run all the subclauses of the limitations clause. They just said because of democracy, because parliament has made this legislation, we as the judiciary can't can't examine it. So it wasn't even, it hasn't even passed muster through the limitations clause. They said, because it's a democratic act, we can't judge it. So they shirked their duty 
to uphold the constitution and uphold the consistency of the constitution with the law of the land. They just didn't do their job. So I, I, they didn't say that there's fair discrimination. They just said the democracy produced this thing and so we're going to go along with it. The Americans have, have got this loophole as well because the democracy has the whip hand. I would argue America doesn't really have a supreme constitution. They, they, they have a democratic republic, which means that the democracy holds the framing of the republic together. And that's also why, you know, the Second Amendment is, is so important as well in America, because it all is centered around the people, whereas us, it's all centered around the, the Supreme Constitution. I'm sorry to keep on laboring this point, but I mean, if we were taught civic, proper civic lessons, it, it's so sad because, you know, we never would have gone down this path if we just educated ourselves about our Constitution. Hmm. I realize that the living constitution is is in a different state because people are in a different mind space because of how badly things have gone. Yeah, I hear you. Um, look, I, I don't know about uh, I'm I, I don't know about that um, with with regards to the constitutional court um, saying that it's the act of um, parliament and therefore it's democratic. Uh, they have not. They cannot say anything about it. That seems very um, wrong. Um, like if they did that, it seems extremely bad. However, I do. I do know that in the Bill of Rights, um, Chapter Two, um, sec Section Nine, where it speaks about uh, equality, it says like uh, nine subsection five says discrimination on one or more of the grounds listed in subsection three is unfair unless it is established that the discrimination is fair um so yeah no but i mean you need that just so that you don't have absurd contradictions like mm -hmm. for example you don't want to have female firefighters who can't who don't have the lung capacity to be in a burning building you know you have to have restrictions that are going to indirectly discriminate against groups of people but that's fair discrimination because they just can't do the job for instance in the female firefighter, because look, obviously there'll be some women who do have the lung capacity, but indirectly it'll be the case that as a group, as a class of people, women, you know, if you have the same standard to be a firefighter, women just aren't going to make it at the same rate that men are going to make. Mm, I hear you. It all makes sense. It's, a, it's like a philosophy machine. That's why you can go to court against your own government and win against your own government. You never win in America against your own government. But our democracy is subservient to the Supreme Constitution. And that's why we have all these liberal values. So we have we have a liberal democracy, a proper liberal democracy. America's liberal democracy, I'm afraid, is substandard to ours. We literally live in the most civilized country in the world on paper. I realize that on paper is very different to what's happening on the ground, but I, I really think it's a shame that people don't appreciate what we've got. But anyway, sorry, I, I, you can hear me. I'm just repeating myself over and over again. I, I do apologize. No, it's, it's fine. Um, so, um, sorry, you want to say something, Henry? Yeah, I think it, uh, <laughs> I'm moving a bit away from what Zang was saying. Um, I think I'm just going to let you comment on what Zane said, and then I'm going to comment on something unrelated. Yeah, I just want to, if the audience, uh, well, for the audience in the future, just uh, remember that uh, the referendum party is a single issue party, and obviously policy and everything regarding the constitution doesn't fall within the scope <laughs> of uh, the referendum party's policies. So just uh, 
a second or third disclaimer in there. But uh, personally, I hear you, uh, Zhang. I don't know if it is true if the constitution is the best in the world. And is that purely the constitution of the country? I would, I doubt that. It's definitely also the institutions that implement the constitution. Um, uh, oh, I'd, I'd encourage that, that discussion uh, if you ever want to have it. But Because, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that if we also didn't have the Roman-Dutch law. Because, you know, we also, I mean, we have the... We have the best legal system in the world. Before the constitution, we had the best legal system in the world. Even when we had apartheid, our, our parliament was afraid of our judges. In fact, our parliament was so stymied by the judges in the apartheid court, they tried to invent their own high court of parliament to try to combat the judges, you know, to, because even with the Westminster system, they were denuded, they were defanged by, by the judges because we had such a strong philosophical machine at the core of our legal system. You have to realize that the Roman law that we inherited was the, the law that was invented for aristocrats to solve their controversies between aristocrats. So, you know, they would go to war with each other. They would, you know, take each other to court and they needed a legal system that they both thought was unbiased and that used the right principles to come to the right conclusion at the end of the day. And so, you know, all the, our legal actions are based on general principles. We don't have things that are invented by the democracy. We do invent things with the democracy, but then they get checked up against the legal Roman law. So anyway, we've got lots of threads of complexity and sophistication that you just don't get anywhere else. You know, because Napoleon destroyed the Roman Dutch law in Europe. So the Dutch don't even have it anymore. We're the only ones who have it. But anyway. Um, anyway, 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 anyway. I think a yeah. small, sorry. Uh, I think a small problem is, is if you take a strong chance, um, if, if there was only two people and you take a strong um, stance on anything, there's a more than 50% chance you're going to alienate one of the two people. Right. Yeah. I think that's the main problem of what I think that's the main problem at the moment in debate is where um okay <laughs> but basically um it's basically one uh my brain uh, Hanru, I, I get the point mm. that you're making but I just think that when you're proposing a cataclysmic change in the framework of a state it would be better to be upfront about what is going to be permanent or what is going to be consistent or what we're going to, you know, to, to have some grounding framework already at the outset. And that might alienate some people who want more of a radical shift. Because, I mean, I, I know that, you know, there's Robert Dugan out there and people who, who you know, the, they would probably hate me as being a charterist. You know, I'm not libertarian enough for them or community-based enough for them or something like that. Yeah, uh, uh, that is kind of like my point is, I think it comes back to what Yusuf was saying, they're just focusing on the one issue. When it comes to, sorry to interrupt you, Andrew, like it definitely is when it comes to getting the referendum, very crucial that we are singular issue so that we can actually get the referendum and, and not alienate people in the first place. However, I do think that uh, it's fine to have these debates as long as we are aware that we share the common goal of, of independence. And I do think it's Zhang is also right that there is 
like independence is a cataclysmic uh, change to the status quo, right? It's it's literally a new country forming. So it's good to have these debates already. I mean, they are not going to end. We're not going to solve what is the um, best course, but this conversation about you know what role or how should we adopt to change the constitution is is effectively assuming we win the referendum, right? And and I do think there's there's space for that, uh, but we have to win it first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, along with all the other things that I've said, I just think that as a strategy, it might be worth copying the DA more and becoming almost a clone of the DA, because I do think that at the end of the day, the DA has got a split loyalty towards the country. You know, so it's like it, it would really hurt the DA in trying to gain national power through national elections if they... Oh, sorry, I've lost my own train of thought now. Uh, but my whole point is just that, can I be a part of the referendum party and also be a member of the DA? Because I think that that kind of positioning, I think, might be very helpful to grow the vote for the referendum party. And, and you just are branding yourself as the local DA that's just local to the Western Cape, but that you're not threatening the DA at all, that you share all their big policy generalities, if you can put it like that. Yes, effectively, the referendum party is... Um, look, we aren't formed by DA members, but definitely DA supporters within the Western Cape, or I would say the majority of us. So most of us do hold the same values as the DA. However, it comes back again to Anro's point that we don't want to necessarily alienate potential um, yeah, uh, independent supporters because our own polling shows that support for the DA in the Western Cape is in fact tentative. Like, um, I forgot it, but only something like 33% of people in the Western Cape vote for the DA because they like them. Um, another third votes for the, the DA because they want to keep the ANC out and the last third votes for the DA because they think they're the least worst option. And we've also seen pushback in aligning too close to the DA and also pushback for going against too harshly against the DA. So it's a very fine, tricky balance what RP is trying to do to be, show that yes, we are very DA friendly. I mean, a vote for the RP will give you get you a DA government. However, we're not like... DA fundamentalists, yeah. So are you contesting municipal seats or are you only contesting the provincial elections for the parliament? We're only contesting provincial, but we will also be on the national ballot. The reason for that is purely to use the national assembly as for two reasons. The first one to like bring independence on the national stage and, and it's basically will be like a free advertising platform. The second the second reason is um, RP wants to, well, Phil basically wants to introduce um, legislation that will allow citizens to call referendums based on some threshold criteria, maybe like 50,000 signatures or 5% of uh, region's population or whatever. Um, yeah, those are the, the reasons will be on the national. It's also simpler because um, people get confused with the difference between the provincial and national ballots, there's actually going to be a third one, a regional um, ballot, which is also for the National Assembly. Our primary goal is on the provincial because we have to get the DA below 50% in the province. 
national doesn't really matter. So that you become the key star, you become the kingmaker in the Western province. Is, is that is that the goal? Yes, exactly. So um, basically, the DA in 2019, which was the last general election, they got around 54%. So there has obviously been a decline since then. I think in 2021, within the province, it was something like 51% of people voted DA or something like that. We have to get the DA sufficiently below 50% to force them into a coalition with us or the Freedom Front Plus, who also support independence. And sufficiently below 50% is um, roughly 2% because the ACDP, um, I think, holds around 1% of the vote, but they do not support independence. I'd like to make another recommendation that that perhaps you try to gain signatures for a referendum and although you don't have a legal route to do anything with that yet, maybe you can approach the constitutional court and you say like, look, we've got our threshold, what is a reasonable, what we consider to be a reasonable threshold, but we can't get, you know, we can't get our referendum. So we were approaching the courts to mandate something or decree something. Well, uh, that's effectively Cape Exit strategy, right? Um, they are trying to get 1.6 million signatures to somehow demand a referendum. Maybe they go the legal route. And uh, RP, um, successor, the uh, predecessor, I mean, the Cape Independence Advocacy Group, together um, with Cape Exit, the Freedom Front, the Cape Independence Party, and two other groups, um, we launched the Cape Referendum Alliance which um, we got people to sign a letter to demand Alan Windy to um, call a referendum. I think we got about 40,000 signatures. I mean, it's still up. If you, if you just Google, I mean, if you just go capereferendum.org, the website is there um, still, and you can sign up for that letter. Um, but yeah, the thing was with, with that was we knew Alan Windy would still say no. Um, we were primarily using that as a database for the referendum party. So um, get people to sign up to say they are for a referendum so that we can contact them in the future um, to get them to vote for us. Um, yeah. Do you have any projections voters. about where you see the party after the, these elections coming up? Um, it's too early to tell because we are very, very young, right? Referendum party is about 50 days old. <laughs> What I can say though is um, we do like weekly, we have a, um, a KPI, basically like um, metrics, which looks at like how we are doing. And uh, I must say like, for example, in purely from members growth, there's been quite significant. We have around 41,000 people signed up on our uh, database. But our goal, obviously, is to get 100,000 votes because that would give us sufficient, um, that would give us 3% of the province's um, vote and would bring the DA sufficiently down in conjunction with their decline from 2019 to 2021 to put them on 48%. Yeah, so it's a bit early to tell, but um, I am cautiously optimistic. We, I mean, we don't plan to lose um, and we are... Like Phil said, you know, if we're going to go after the king, we must be sure to win. And we are, yeah, we are going to throw the whole uh, kitchen sink at the DA in the province in a kind manner, of course. I must say, because I, 
without the constitution, one of the reasons why I go on and on and on about it is because I feel like, you know, we are a microcosm of South Africa inside the Western Cape. And mm. we have the seeds of the same thing that brought down the country, you know, like we could still have colored ethno-nationalism develop in the Western Cape after independence, you know, it, it could, things could go just as badly, you know, just on a smaller scale. Yes, I, I agree with you. Um, I would largely think not, um, considering the electoral and political history within the West, Western Cape and the Capes, the Western Cape's predecessors, like the Cape Province specifically, um, I think it's District 2, which was roughly corresponds to the Western Cape and um, the Cape Colony. It has had a extremely long tradition of holding these liberal values dating back centuries. And I don't think that will change overnight with independence. And I think it's actually will be strengthened. The voice of this liberal voice will be strengthened post-independence because, I mean, the majority of people want such a, a state, right, um, in the Western Cape. We keep voting for, for a liberal democracy, but we don't get one. But yes, I definitely do agree that we must avoid at all costs what happened to South Africa effectively, which included, but is not limited to corruption and uh, a misinterpretation of the constitution on many grounds. I just hope we get the education system right and we start educating people about the constitution. That's that's what I that's what I think is the long-term solution. But anyway, that that's that's my pipe dream. No, I agree. Uh, education is valid. Go ahead. Yeah, um, actually, hey, that's another thing me and Zane agree on. Uh, education is important. Yes, definitely. It's quite sad though because South Africa spends one of the highest. Um, in the world as a percentage of GDP on the on education but our educational outcomes are so bad like on the um, English or the reading comprehension uh, tests and the the mass comprehension tests for I think it was grade five students that was released earlier this year like South Africa went really 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 down on the list and we are by far the worst performing country <laughs> on that list um, uh which is embarrassing. Yeah, the issue with that, those stats is it doesn't really give you the full picture because I do know of a local high school here. And you know, want to know how much money they actually get from the gov government in terms of funding? Uh, not even enough to pay their phone bill. That's, I, I think... mean, that's South Africa. You know, uh, in South Africa, there's this extremely, this, it's basically two parallel societies running together, right? So many people, and the Western Cape is also quite unique within South Africa, but if you take South Africa as a whole and you look at average statistics, it's all very bleak. But then you have this parallel society effectively running, uh, which is partially a legacy or largely a legacy of apartheid, but it's also partially a legacy of the ANC's incompetence, right? Um, and yeah, South Africa's extreme inequality manifests itself in things like educational outcomes and I mean, just like how the economy is. I think another small issue is it's not a lot of, well, support for students that are, that have problems or stuff like that. Not a lot of awareness in a sense as well. For stuff like, say, um, difficult eye dif difficulties with eyesight or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's actually really extremely like i keep using the word embarrassing but it, it really is embarrassing the the state of 
education in South Africa, the fact that it's gotten worse despite South Africa spending one of the highest um, as a percentage of GDP on education is really telling. It's like it's largely purely due to mismanagement and incompetence. Country should, shouldn't be going backwards on educational attainment, it should be going forward. I mean, even if it was getting slightly better each year, that would be okay. It would be better than, you know, getting worse. Yeah, so um, I definitely, uh, you know, like um, for things like education, um, law and order, um, um, just basic economic uh, principles. Yeah. I think we um, all agree. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I know uh, my point is more just that I don't, I don't think it's purely just the education that's the issue. I think it's um, kind of like parent awareness of issues that like eyesight and hearing and special mm -hmm. needs. I don't think uh, if some of the parents out there are aware of that. So when um, when it's uh, they don't get their kids or stuff tested because they don't know they should get them tested, and then problems like say poor eyesight causes the ch child to underperform. They feel they're lost. They don't feel like they can actually get out of that rut, and then they start misbehaving, and then it's it's a vicious cycle. I'm just saying what I've gotten from. Um, Second-hand testimony from my mother and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I hear you. Um, and I mean, that's where the state comes into play, right? Or the institutions that the state um, cultivates at least shouldn't degrade, like education, uh, well, the educational systems. Like parents, maybe they never got education or they didn't complete schooling, so they wouldn't know about things like poor eyesight, etc. But you know, the school should ideally have the capabilities and the resources to, to deal with these things, right? So, so yeah. It, it could it could be that it's not necessarily a funding issue. It's more just an issue of where those funds are going. Yeah, I mean, a large portion of them was probably going into some uh, politician's um, wallet in, you know, Pretoria. Um, there's oh, definitely, definitely, you know, some fees there and... I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think even Zane would argue with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure. I mean, I think we all agree on most issues that the country is facing. Yeah, uh, corruption. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's like it's more like structural corruption at the moment. Um, mm. Embedded like a a, a a culture of corruption and a culture of disregard for the law that has really seeped into South African society. All right, I think that's a wrap for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week.